0: hello everyone and welcome to episode three of the phasing tipton focus we are pleased to be joined this uh, this morning by hansley albina of blake albina thoroughbred services of newtown and stud farm a number of hats that hansley wears he likes to wear hats needs to wear hats as well hansley thank you for joining us this morning
1: thank you jesse thank you for having me uh before we get started, I would just like to say I'd, I'd like to apologize to your dozens of you, uh, listeners uh, because <laughs> I did a little research before we started this, and the TDN Writing Writer's Room uh, this week's guest is Pat Day.
0: Yes, yeah, legend, the legend.
1: Yeah, he's he's Hall of Famer, overcame mm-hmm. great adversity. Yes, um, is leading a wonderful after jockey life, and your guest is is me.
0: Yeah, so, well, we had to get somebody this week, yeah. so. Thank you for being available I, and basically inviting yourself onto the podcast yeah. because you've had some success recently with some of the Newtown breads, which we'll talk about here in a few moments. But I first want to touch on you growing up in the industry and, and being around Buckram Oak in your youth with your father, who was was very influential with them. What was that experience like growing up at Buckram Oak and your your exposure to the industry as, as a child?
1: It was unbelievable. It was, uh, it was a dream. I didn't realize it at the time how... Unique the opportunity was. There was no flying start. There was no preparation for. I guess what I've now become. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was unreal. Um, you know, my parents discouraged the industry, horse racing, completely. You know, my father was like, "You, they're not going to do this. This is, this is really tough." You know, and uh, but that didn't work, right? So I would go to the races with him. I, my my first memories are. So when my father trained in the, uh, he was an amateur jockey in the Middle East, uh, and he retired very early. Um, and he immediately became a trainer at eighteen. He's a trainer, and he was the trainer for King Hussein of Jordan's uncle, who was uh, had an immense stable. Wow! And he made him the private trainer, and he literally he would it's like he would start out with two hundred horses. He'd go yearlings, go through. I mean, two two year olds yearlings. Sure and uh go through them and refine them down like 60 horses and that was the stable he'd, he'd
0: and this run. would have been in the
1: this is 70s okay. early 70s all the way through uh we, he would have been, you know before uh, he was riding earlier than that but training 60s and 70s and um and he said it was like a dream because you got to ride, you know train all the best horses and uh, he's in the middle east and he's doing very well as a trainer uh and around 1979 1980 The king's uncle died, and that's when, um, you know, he'd always had an American dream. You know, John Wayne, and he liked England. He loved England too. So he, he, for some reason, he always thought I'm going to live in England, and I'm going to live in the United States. He's like, I'm going to. That's what is going to happen. I don't know if he knew how it was going to happen. And so he was, he was a top level trainer in the Middle East, and and he, uh, my grandfather had been very um, uh, instrumental in. construction of racetracks. he was an owner uh, in the Middle East and he, and that had put him um, next to mr. Fustock's father and so my my father hadn't actually known mr. Fustock himself Mahmoud Fustak. Uh, he'd known his father and he got along with him very well and my grandfather knew him and so on and so forth and so when it came time mr Fustock was doing very well in France he had he was, had an unbelievable stable or winning a lot of races he was coming to the united states uh, buying uh horses he was top buyer at july and other sales many times early in the early days he'd started construction on what is not what is now stone street then was Buckram oak farm in 1977 it was the first arabone farm uh and interestingly enough to put it in perspective when they were building that farm, there was only a few banks in town. And at the bank they were at, Buckramoke Farm was the second biggest depositor behind PepsiCo. Wow. So it was, it was a big yeah, deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. And so they're building that farm. And anyway, so he has this division in France, and he wants a division in England. So um, they call him up, and they say, hey, we know Sharif Nasser, the uncle the king, has died. You want to come over here and train? He said, yeah, let's go. So at two years old, I went to England. So <clears throat> when we got to England, he, you know, in true Mr. Fustock fashion, he had to do everything first class. So he's gonna build a stable. So on Hamilton Road in Newmarket, which is like, I don't know, the Rodeo Drive of horse racing in Newmarket, he's building a state-of-the-art stable. Never been seen before. So in the meantime, while we're waiting for the stable, we rent Lester Piggott's stable on <laughs> Hamilton Road. So literally, I, I, I would walk out of my house and there's Lester Piggott and, you know, that was my oldest memories. I knew him like to see him all the time and his house was down the road and he'd come over to eat with my dad. The and, best kind of exposure as yeah, a kid, I mean, like you're around legends. Yeah, he'd legends. Watch my daddy. He wouldn't actually eat. He'd watch my daddy. But, but still, ice cream and champagne, that's all he'd eat. Really? Yeah. When my, my dad, when dad used to say when he used to go to the races with Lester, he'd make him stop like three times for ice cream on the way home. And he would only drink champagne because people would. What kind him. of
0: ice cream? Anything in particular?
1: I mean, the first one you come soft serve. I mean, in England. They no, but
0: like what flavor? Like any particular? Vanilla, just, just straight vanilla.
1: In England, they have this thing called a, a, a flake ninety-nine. Are you familiar? No. It's soft no. serve ice cream in a cake cone, with a chocolate, a flake chocolate stick stuck into it. Interesting. And it's it is widespread. It's what.
0: And that was his go-to. His go-to. So then you so you're there so, in your youth. I'm there in my youth. And I, I, you transition to the United States.
1: Yeah. So so he he um he leaves the new market, he has the stable move on Oak Stable, and um he leaves Mr. Fustock uh mid eighties, goes public in England, uh is public in England for a number of years. Clients include um uh Maktoum and and it does quite well. Um and then he gets a call. At that point, he'd been training for like forty years, you know, and um, he's he's got kid, you know, kids, and and he's like, you know, his first Frissack says, "Hey, would you like to run the farm in Kentucky?" And he thought, "Well, I'll uh, I'll go to Kentucky. I always want to go to America. We'll be at the farm for ten years, and I'll probably start training again." Well, ten turned into twenty. turned into it never happened again. But I was always discouraged. And when I got to the farm, I got to um, you know. Work at the farm, night watch, and work in the barns, and then work, you know, up to assistant manager, and get, every, and, you know, do have a, get a lot of experience that way. But more importantly than that, I got to do a lot of sales stuff. So, you know, I got to follow. If you remember, I don't know if you remember, but when he used to buy horses, it was an entourage. It was a whole big thing, and I got to walk around with him and see what was happening. He, First, I got an unbelievable eye. My dad, also. And we would go around, and I would be privy to all the conversations and understand everything and be sure. Show- I mean, it was just everything. And it got to the point where I'm 18 years old, and I was. he would let me do deals on horses. And he didn't care. It was like, yeah, was like, go ahead and do this. Wow. And so I'd go up to people. They were grown men. And I'd be like, I'd like to offer you half a million dollars on that horse. And they'd be like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and should I believe you? And and they would ask around. They're like, you should probably believe him. Uh, yeah.
0: So, what did that mean to you as a child, seeing your father say, "I'm going to, I am going to make it in England. I'm going to be in America, and then, and then do that successfully. Do that." Does that help set you on the on the path that you're on today? To see him execute the plan that he laid out.
1: Yeah, I think that everyone in our business, if they're honest with them, wants to be a trainer. I don't care who you are. I mean, come on. Let's be honest, right? Everyone yeah. wants to be a trainer. It's super sexy, you know? But the reality is, is when I went to be a trainer, was a, I was I was an intern here at Phasic Tips. And on, in the summertime, I would go to work at Calder for the Buckermoke trainer at the time, Mohammed Mubarak. And it didn't take long to figure out <laughs> that it was not a sustainable <laughs> thing for, for, for me. For you, yeah. Right. So, you know... I kind of wanted a family maybe. I mean, I don't even know that I was thinking that so much, but I probably didn't want to work that hard, to be honest, if you want to be honest with <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like you know, 4.30 wake up calls, that's early, you know? So yeah, I just, you know, I think that's what gets you. I mean, you look around, you see, you know, no vacation time, you know, and it wasn't for me. It, it weeded me out right away, which was great. But what I But even being
0: on a farm though, to be fair, there's not a ton of vacation time. There's either. not, but it's different. It's different.
1: It is different. Like, um, you do have more of a life. Like you exist during normal hours more. Um, four thirty wake up calls, you don't really exist, you know, like uh but what whatever. It, it is it is different. But I, I do but you got
0: all these experiences at a young age. You you got to experience the farm, the, the purchasing side of things. It was unreal on two different continents. Yeah, it was, and it have was, that exposure to know it was. It this was, is what you want to do.
1: It was a, It was very interesting. Um, uh, it could not be replaced. I, I, I really think I was fortunate. It was amazing how it worked out. Um, but. It being exposed to the sales, it made me see how much I love the sales. I love the action of it. I love the pure commerce of it. I love the fact that um, that uh, you have to take a stand. Whether in a buy, buy, on the buy side, on the buy side, it's not about the horses you don't buy. It doesn't matter. When people tell me stories about the horses they don't buy, I could care less. It's only about the horses you. But buy. But you do buy, yeah. That's it. And when you get to be a certain agent of a certain caliber, you get to be able to buy just about any horse. And then the pressure's really on. Like when you're young and you, you piece together thousands of dollars from your friends and your grandma and whatever, and you go buy a horse, if you're successful, you, that's great because it was really hard to do that. But when you have all the money to spend and you go to a sale and the world is your oyster, well, the pressure's really on then. Right. Because you can't make excuses.
0: We'll get to that buying aspect in just a moment, but by the time that Buckramoke is starting to wind down a little bit, by, toward the end of Buckramoke, you're the assistant broodmare manager, assistant farm manager the assistant at that time.
1: Assistant farm manager at the time, yeah, yeah, uh, of, of Buckramoke. Uh, and Mr. Suckett got, got got killed. He was he was hit by a car, and it just so happened that a few years before, I'd been with with one of his associates. I'd been forming uh, a company named Three Roses. And it was more because we, he wanted to sell Mr. wasn't a seller. He was not a seller occasionally, but very rarely would he sell a horse. And it damaged us because if we ever did want to sell a horse, people were like, why is he selling this horse? And so this division is Three Roses division, which, which actually became Four Roses, um, was the selling end of it, right? So horses in that, in that part could be either purchased, pinhooked, or uh, raced. And people would know Hey, they're they're gonna sell these horses. That was the anyway. So that had happened. He 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 passed away, and um, and the heirs um, um kept me on to kind of run what became Four Roses, which is, which is everything we we cleared um, we cleared out a lot of the mares and horses that he had, and we kind of refined it down and had a lot of success racing what was left and. Uh, buying more horses and racing some of those for a few more years,
0: and this is two thousand like seven, eight. It would have been somewhere in there. Yeah,
1: around the Big Brown Derby, exactly. right, right. Yeah, so we had Anik Nakal. Um, we finished out racing Silver Wagon. Uh, we finished out racing Silver Train. I did the deal on Silver Train. That's another thing. I mean, I was young doing stallion deals, you know, and I had no business uh, doing those deals. But I learned a lot. I learned to read a contract, you know, and I learned that. You know these stallion deals where everyone's like, "Oh, it's a it's a given." It, none of it's a given. Yeah. And if I could give advice to anyone who's in a, who has a nice horse and is getting ready to do a stallion deal, uh, is do not sign any deals without seeing the syndicate agreement. There's no such thing as a standard syndicate agreement. That is a fallacy. And you know, fa- you know farms would be really angry. I tell you that, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you need to see everything. The syndicate manager controls your horse. Doesn't matter how much they own. So. You need to make sure those guys uh, have rules to to play by, and everyone should be playing by the same rules.
0: So this is in in two thousand. So then you, you have the the three roses.
1: Yeah, three or four roses. Yeah.
0: Which becomes four roses.
1: Becomes four roses. We had almost like last. Were song. you the fourth rose? Is I, that what I the, don't know what the rose thing was about. I okay. just don't, add, I don't ask. the owners about names. because yeah. it's very per, sometimes it's personal. It's
0: personal. Sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: But I, uh, yeah, I, yeah. So so we, we did that, and I, I, that's where I really got to. Really got to, it was all, it was on me. You know, there was no one else. My dad had retired. Um, And I I learned, learned a ton. We did, uh, we, we had a horse named Fierce Wind. He won the Sam Davis. It was a Dixie Union, Nick Zito. And um, we did the deal on that horse. And we, we started getting offers and they were ridiculous offers. You put in Sam Davis millions. No, I was like, Oh, God, we <laughs> won't sell this horse. And then, and then you'd be like, Okay, well, that's over. You move on, and then a week later, they call you back, I'm like, More millions. I was like, This guy's got to sell. I said, He said, Well, you know, you'd be like, What do you think? I'm like, I would have sold two, two yeah, million ago. Yeah. What are you talking about? And yeah, and, and at the end of it, there was an, I don't want to name any names because so they probably don't want to be named, but the agent on the other side of the purchaser said to me, "I got to let's let's speak frankly. Do you think this horse is worth this money? We're gonna we want to pay you." And I said, "No, not a chance." <laughs> and she said, "That's what I said." And I said, "She said, but here's the thing. I, I told my owner that so many times now. We went through so many rounds of bidding that it's rude. I'm getting rude, and I don't want to be rude to this guy." and he wants this horse and he thinks because you say no that you think this horse is really good interesting and i was like i wish we were that smart but you know and that's what happened the horse never won another race interesting never won another race
0: I, I see i love these stories and you are you are very open about this and i yeah. appreciate that because this is great content this is what people they want to hear the stories behind the horses and so I, I appreciate that insight. And it was about this time, so, so we're 2008-2009, it was about this time you are starting your association with Ron Blake, which is about yeah. 2010, and you form Blake being the Thoroughbred Services.
1: Yeah, so if we back up a little bit. So when, when, when uh, Buckram Oak Lexington sold, his went back to, went to Ocala and bought a training center. And that was what he did. and But that left with a lot of mares here in Lexington. And so I stayed back in Lexington I managed the mares in the breeding operation, which was, I don't know, probably 40 to 60 mares at the time. And I split them up between Stuart Morris, or Jeff Morris at the time, Highclere, um, uh, Jimmy Herbner, and Ron Blake. And the reason I did that is because you know, we were a private farm. farmer, kind of isolated, but in this, in the sales ring, we would, we would, because we bought so much, we would deal with these people a lot. And these people to me were exemplary. You know, they always had really nice horses. They were always fitted just right. They were, you know, just, it was, they were the people that I thought their horses consistently looked great. And so we split them up amongst those people. And, and of course, you know, I'll go through all of them. I mean, Stuart and Jeff were great. And, um, the bulk of the mares were there because they kind of had the operation it could take the most. Uh, but working with Jimmy Herbner was, I mean, it was on it was unreal. You know, I didn't realize at the time. But and and for those who probably just ran into Jimmy at the sale, he's very quiet, so you won't really know. But like once you get to know him, he was a great guy. Yeah, very very sharp. Kathy and Jimmy Herbner are some of the well, Jimmy were, but Kathy and Jimmy are, are some of the sharpest people that have ever played this game.
0: It's interesting you say that because I read a quote that you had one time um, growing up young in the industry, you don't get to do a lot, but you get to study a lot. Yeah. and it seems like that served you you very well. You just mentioned three people that you had kind of watched and studied a little bit and then when it came time for you to to make that transition, that's that's who you went to.
1: yeah yeah I can you're an observer.
0: Sure. I mean that's one you're, you're an observer I mean you're very opinionated. you stand on your opinions you just talked about that with the purchasing of horses. You have to stand on your opinions, but you're also you're a very observant person.
1: I uh, learn from the people around me every day. I don't ever want to stop learning. I mean, I always have to, as an opinionated person, to say the least. Yeah, my wife will attest to that. <laughs> I think you have to stop and say I could be wrong, and let me find out why I could be wrong. And and I try to do that. And Jimmy, won, you know, once. We're standing in the back ring looking at mares, and Kathy used to do it. She'd stand in the back of that pavilion and just poach these unbelievable. Like, what in the world? And he said something to me that it's obvious. Like when I say it, people are like, "Well, that's a stupid thing to say," but it was. It's not obvious. And he said, "I'll only pay a lot of money for production," and he didn't mean like I'll pay a lot of money for mares that have had um, grade one winning foals. Right. He meant and what he's saying in a way like you really have to focus when you're breeding mares when you're buying mares racing is over racing is the currency of breeding but that career is over so when you look at a mare you have to look at a mare for what her foals look like to produce and can produce for you well, i mean i mean and i'm not saying that in a commercial manner i'm saying in a racing and commercial manner so and that really rang home for me it's it's like you know it doesn't matter that a mare looks like a train wreck if her foal looks fantastic because I'm buying the foal. I'm buying the mare for the foal. Um, You know, people say, well, you eliminate the ability to sell the mare. Well, I agree, but that's true. But for my, for me and my strategies, I don't, I don't worry about uh, reselling mares. My mares are going to be with me and I'm going to breed them. and get the foals until they retire and they're happy and be turned out. Yeah. I just find that to be, it's more efficient in the sense that if you are a new buyer, you new person entering the breeding game and you want to you want to buy a filly off the track, you want her first role to be a grade 1 winner and then you want to sell that for a million dollars and then sell her for 3 million dollars. You are talking about winning the lottery. Yeah. And so when people a lot go, has to go right for that. <laughs> has to go right. So, you know, that's it's a different strategy than most people take. They they want to they want to hit that. And I and I love that people want to do that. I love people you know that they they want to go out and do that. They up. want that action. They want the action. They want to try it, and it's more satisfying. But for me, I, I take another route. But it always, every time I'm buying a mare, I, I think of Jimmy's words to me that, you know, you're buying. I'm I'm only going to pay for production. Everything else is. You've
0: you've had success with the mares, but you also had success when when you and Ron kind of first formed the partnership. Uh, but then you go out and and do some work on the buying end of things before. Now I would say you've transitioned a little bit more to the selling. Not that you don't—you're not an agent for the racehorse side of things as well, but you've probably more known a little bit now for the for the sales consignment with Blake Albina. But you—you you purchased Violence. Yeah. Talk about that process.
1: Yeah, actually, um, you know, uh, Nick Saluso and I um, purchased Violence. But we first started our partnership. We met in uh, in Dubai when I had. Um, uh, Diamond Stripes won the won a race over there, and he had Benny the Bull. And we met there. We went out to dinner at an all like Lebanese place, and then flew home the next day. And we stayed in contact. We found ourselves having a lot in contact, uh, a lot in common. We did a lot of business, and IAH was kind of dissolving, and Four Roses kind of dissolving. It was just it was just a, a times thing. So he had a he had a a large uh, order to buy yearlings and he really hadn't bought yearlings. He bought two year olds and racing horses, but he was, he was a little bit uh, intimidated by uh, Keeneland. And so he brought me on to kind of help. And we bought a, bu- a bunch of horses. They did very well, but one of the horses was, um, Cantharos. So I bought, he had to get on a plane and we'd had the horse on a short list and I loved the horse and I kept on like harping on him and he was, you know, he didn't get to, for whatever reason. he, uh, wasn't able to see the horse, and you know we'd bought all these horses, but a couple million dollars. And um, he's like, "Well, how much do you love this horse, man? Like, I love this horse." He's like, "Well, they paid eighty. When you, what do you want for it?" And I'm like, "I'll pay any amount. Just it's it's he's the best horse. I, I'm I, I'm have And this is going this back horse.
0: to standing. Uh, this is taking a stand, right? This is your. I
1: said I. I it, it was just a feeling I got when I looked at that horse. It was in the Indian Creek, uh, um, consignment. And uh, and I just got a feeling. And I and he said, All right, I'm gonna get on this plane, but you can have, you know, one sixty. I was like, Okay, perfect. Went in there, bought it for eighty thousand dollars. I thought someone was playing a joke. Like, you're looking around like (laughs) i been on the right horse, you know? Is this the right horse? Check you check the number, you try to do it subtly. There's that momentary flash of panic. And so got this horse and and they the the funny thing is the plans changed on all those horses and they all turned out to be sold. As two year olds, which was not what we were told, right? The plan changed. And so John Moynihan then bought the horse and rest is history. So then they kind of, maybe, you know, rightfully or not, Nick kind of was like, well, eh, that was good. So we did, he said, you want to work on this Steve Marshall uh, deal, this BlackRock deal with me? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, we went there and Steve is a character, a well, a noted character of the turf and uh he wasn't at the time and we went in and we bought violence uh and and the same thing i had a really really good feeling about the horse and you know it was i, I don't know i just it's weird and i just knew he was going to be okay he was going to be a good horse and we had we had a lot of other nice horses in that crop too but i knew he was going to be okay and it was yeah it was great
0: and he comes out of the box as a as a brilliant juvenile i'm sure you start getting offers when he's when he's a two-year-old you're able to draw on your experiences from your past stallion deals are you not with with a horse like this
1: oh yeah and kind
0: of know where you're at and
1: yeah we had a lot of money and 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 you know a good owner that steve marshall is is a rare owner in the sense that he understood the business very quickly his learning curve was great I mean, we would say things, and you would look like you wouldn't pay attention. And then later in conversations, you would understand that he understood. He, yeah. And to this day, he is that way. It only takes one explanation for that guy. And um, so he understood um, going into that deal. He, he was a great negotiator. He helped us. We learned from him. I, we, did, we made sure we saw the syndicate agreement. Um, and yeah, it was good for everyone. We went down...
0: Was this your first horse that you had purchased as a yearling that you did a stallion deal on, or had you, were there other, uh, earlier horses yeah, that you Yeah, earlier
1: would... horses I did, but uh, in the group. It, it would be unfair to say I purchased the earlier horses. Yeah. But I, I, was, I was with Buckram at the time, and I certainly was not a senior member. Fair. But we, but we, um, but so, yeah, I was definitely part of it uh, that we did. I did, st- I mean, we did, um, you know, I did the Silver Train, Silver Train deal. So we did that deal and I obviously I didn't purchase that horse, but I was I was a part of that team. Um uh Silver Wagon deal, we did that deal. I did I did a bunch of stallion deals. I did some even in New Mexico. Silver season it was a horse that we did in, in in New Mexico and
0: uh Was it did gosh. it feel any different that you had helped select this horse when you're doing the stallion deal? Does it does it change know. your aspect on things at all?
1: No, I mean, I think Silver Train I felt like was my horse too. You know, yeah, I was, you know, we were, I was there when we bought him. I remember distinctly. Here, the, here's a great story about that horse. So we would go to the, we went to the farms the year before Silver Train was a yearling. We went to um, the uh, Mulholland, uh, Joe Mulholland we went to the farm. And Mr. Mulholland, Joe's father, was alive, and we had bought, a, we had bought a horse named Mint who had won, uh, I want to say the carry back. A Calder Sprint, Grade Three winner, very nice horse. We bought a number of good horses from the Mohans, so we made sure the whole entourage. And we're talking about you know silk trousers and the whole thing and Cadillac. We go out to the Mohans farm, and there's you know hard boot out there, and we look at some yearlings, and and in this particular, none of the yearlings really struck Mr. Stock's fancy, and everyone's like kind of okay, and. You know, they talked about how they had a lot of success together. And then Mr. like, I've got two babies. And uh, I'll show them to you, but I'm not going to sell them to you. And Mr. goes, okay. So they bring out these babies. Two old tries, Stunners. Stunners. And he said, but, but why won't you sell them to me? He goes, because I'm going to sell them to you next year. And this is unreal. The next year... We forgot all about it. We go to uh, Phasic Tips in July. There it is. Silver train. Buy that old Trieste. Wow. Keeneland, September. We get the shortlist out. There it is. The other old Trieste was a, a, just a brick house. And so we're like, we've got to have this horse too. And he was his name was like uh, Blades of Steel or something like that. I don't know, something like that. I named it after a video game. But he—it he, was he, a great he, hockey yeah, game. It's a great hockey game. You could find Did you
0: ever play Blades of Steel? But that's why I named yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, you named it. Yeah. Yeah, great game.
1: But but the horse didn't live up to the, reverse, to the other yeah. One. yeah yeah. So yeah. so we bought both. We ended up buying both of them as yearlings, and one of them was Silver That's amazing. It is that we, yeah. we went and saw those babies. It's, it's it was amazing. But yeah, that's a, that's another great guy of this business or the characters of this business, Mahomes.
0: You've got all these successes now and then how was the what was the impetus or what was the introduction to where you're currently at with newtown and or stud and helping helping with that farm
1: well we um we did some work for uh, mr Regan uh, early on um, he had started he bought N to farm in New York and I think things weren't quite going the way he wanted him to do and he didn't understand I don't think he had a farm in Ireland a big farm in Ireland that we'd heard about and and An was a place in Millbrook where he was going to go on the weekends and he loved it he was he 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 considered himself a farmer overall but he didn't understand like you know the whole scope of the industry so he, he just came in brought us in we, we bought some horses for him um and done quite well and so we went up to the farm in Millbrook and he he's he's an interesting guy so. We said, let's go bring in some mares. It's like 40 degrees outside. I'm wearing tennis shoes and the lightest pair of pants apparently (laughs) I've ever worn in my life. I'm like, okay, sure. So we go out in these fields, walking up these hills. We're slipping around. It's messy. It's cold. I think I had like the lightest Patagonia on. And I'm like, this better be worth it. This is ridiculous. What are we doing out here? And I knew it was a test. He's testing us. right? So, we, so literally Nick and I and, and the manager at the time are bringing these old mares in and we're talking. And so finally we get to business and it sits down. And he's like, well, what do you think? And I said, you got a really nice pile of rocks here. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I paid like you know, a lot of money. And I said, yeah, I know. It's a beautiful place. I'm sure it's going to be nice having your family and, and friends run around here and have a good time. I said, but it's not a place to raise horses. You need to, uh, you know, we can we can we can use the New York bread program, um, but we need to use it in a tactical way. We need to move our yearlings as soon as we can. We need to, um, you know, we have to use it to for it's for what it's good for, which is you know, starting mares uh, for, um, for for giving mares opportunities early. Uh, Restrict into for their foals runner run a restricted company opportunity to get black type, uh, that's that's what we should use it for. And so we we made it more tactical. We 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 um, boarded our horses at at a couple farms here, and then you know the broodmare band got large enough to where I was like, I think I'm just going to buy a farm. I was like, okay. So we'll, we'll how big a farm? And we went and looked at farms, and you know we were looking for something that was two two fifty. And when we got out there he realized very quickly as a businessman, as a, as a brighter person than I, he's like, the efficiencies, the the values in the bigger farms. I'm like, yeah, less people can afford bigger farms, but there's a higher carry cost. And he said, well, we're not going to pay this for that. We'll just buy this. And we ended up buying Brittany Farm, which is a standard bread farm. It was like uh, 850 acres. And we've since made it bigger. But um, And that was the price point he was happy at. And, and the rest is history. You know, We've spent a lot of time, effort, and money Making that farm, bringing it back to life, and it's been generous to us, uh, uh, you know, in the sales ring and racing wise too. And yeah,
0: and you and Ron have been an integral part in that. You and 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 Ron Blake, the Blake and Blake Albina. Yeah,
1: Ron Blake is the Blake and Blake Albina, and he has been my partner since I had horses with him as when he was Blake Agency. Um, You know, right around the recession time is when we started our business together, and he's been it's the best partner the best partner and and i hope he would say the same thing but he has been great and and it was hard because when we when we started for newtown it was it was full-time a lot of our other clients were able to run our farm and then a, we were able to um also operate their businesses in fact i at some at one time we had the blake agents break on a farm and when we had black rock farm and then we had another farm so he was running all three because he was day-to-day and i'm more like big picture stuff you know so but in in the newtown job i said look this has to be done right and and you got we have to you have to relinquish your farm And and he said this is what we have to do and 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 i told mr Regan and rightfully said this is the guy and you need to pay him and and move over. Yeah. And that's what he did. And it was, it's was it been great ever since. I, There's been a number of successes. A yeah, number I, of successes. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I sleep very soundly knowing that Ron is there watching over everything. You know? yeah. yeah. And you didn't
0: completely abandon the New York Pro. I mean, you, you had talked about no, visiting no. the farm the first time, but you guys have really used that very well. It it sounds like that was the, the plan you set out for. You've bred a number of, of very nice New York breads up there. We'll talk about one of those in just a few moments, but... You've been a big supporter of that program, and you've been quoted a number of times saying you believe it's the best state-bred program, and you guys really really do support that as a regional market, whether it's through sales and then also through the breeding aspect as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, every major owner on the... Okay, I can eliminate the West Coast, but every major owner on the East Coast, if you race on the East Coast, you should have some New York breads, because... If you want to race at Saratoga, there's more races for restricted steak race state state breads than, uh, than any other races. Yeah. Why would you not? You you get to go to the winter circle and celebrate the same way. Right. What's the difference? And guess what? Your maiden pays 120. It's not terrible. Yeah. Um, I, I'm and when I when I speak about the restricted New York bread, I don't mean to minimize it. They're they're better than they used to be by a long shot. It's not a cakewalk. It's not a thirty claimer going over there winning. Right. It's not what it is anymore. So don't. They're I, legitimate horses it's winning in special weights. But, but, but you have opportunities to run more. You have a chance to use your conditions twice if it's an open horse, right? You get to run both. So it's a lot more money. So it makes racing more palatable. And 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 people forget, like you go to the New York bred sale and you should just buy an open horse. And then the bonuses. You also have this New York bread. The incentive on it's the back end. The incentive on yeah. the back end. I, I don't understand what there, if there's a stigma. Maybe there isn't. Maybe I just read it wrong. But for any, why would you put up? It's not an. It's not a a, a lesser breed of horse anymore. They've won derbies. I mean, what is the right? What, what are we talking about here? Like it's it's fiction. So yeah, I think every big owner should have some New York breads.
0: What is the what makes you place a mayor in New York versus Kentucky? You guys have, have built up a great operation here. You had a million-dollar yearling that you sold at Saratoga. Uh, that was your first million-dollar yearling that you sold as a, as a sales agency. It was an end-of-mischief. What differentiates the programs for you? What do you like to, to take advantage of? What do you see has, has worked for you guys?
1: Uh, young mayors. I like to send young mayors up there, get their start, first uh, three-folds. I get to qualify the mayor. And then those three foals get to run restricted. And so that means that I get if 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 the first hurdle is the sale. So we offer all of our yearlings. Every single one of our yearlings are offered. And I think Ned in previous previous podcast spoke to it. Like we do that because we don't want people to think that we're cherry picking. Yeah. We have to be fair to the consumer. And so we put them all up and we it forces me to to be very precise about my um, appraisals so I praise them all the ones that I don't think are worthy of putting 50 sixty thousand dollars a year into training for us and, and that's a finite number right it's not unlimited um, those horses will go and they will go at below what I think technically their value is and the other ones will have reserves that I think are fair and and, and on the on the above you know you'll race and on the on the below I'll race.
0: It served you well because you just last week, um, at the time that we are recording this, you had the New York Breeders fraternity winner with What You're Talking About. So you're rewarded with that stakes program, and then you're also selling a half sibling to it during the Kentucky October sale.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what You're Talking About, we we sold uh, last October to uh, Wesley Ward and Ben McElroy, uh, two very sharp guys, and it was very fast very fast horse uh looking and 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 I think they did made a tremendous buy and yeah when the, and we were have the we have the full here um by McKenzie. um very nice horse uh it displays a lot of the same attributes that that horse had the fast look um yeah we're very 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 excited to have that and that that was uh that was um a very timely update, so we're happy.
0: You always seem to have a very good mix of freshman sires that you guys breed to and proven sires. What do you feel... What is the mix when you're planning these matings? It, it's a moving target, clearly. It's it's a long process to get to the sales, but what do you look for with those younger mares? And you always have that good mix of freshman sires with proven sires. What goes into that?
1: I like to breed... Um, I breed to both, um, obviously, but I like to breed to dialed in. It's a great example. Dialed in blame. Those two stallions are key for me because I know what they produce. And if a young mare produces for me what I think a good one of those, then I'm, I'm in long haul. Then I spend money, but I like to see what she can do with one of those. And so like, I'll have those key sires to do that with, um, and and I think that's key. I think, I mean, as far as proven size is concerned, I mean, you're talking to a guy who bred Cosmo's buddy to painter this year. so, <laughs> so like. But uh, there's a
0: reason for that. I mean, it's... Yeah, but
1: it's, it's not the commercial decision, I guess. But it should be the commercial decision, yeah. right? And so, you know, maybe I'm bucking the trend. Maybe that's not the right thing to do. I don't know. But I, I want to see what happens. I would, I would regret at the end of her career not her breeding her back to painter. And seeing if I could get a next go, and so uh, you know, talk to Mister. Which, like, yes, yeah. that
0: would make a that would make a full sibling to full to go, to, to
1: right? So we will see, we will see.
0: You you had also mentioned one time I think you were talking about Kateri, um, yeah. yeah, that that you had done a lot of research on that Mayor, and I believe that she came from a. Uh, what was the f- the family that she- from Cozine's family? And you, that's where you had talked yeah. about doing a lot of observing and stuff that's, like that.
1: That's right. She was a February purchase, I believe.
0: Uh, yeah, February. and that's also you have some horses in the consignment in October that are are, are mares that you have purchased either from February or or other sales at Phasing Tipton that it, that you then bring them back and kind of bring it full circle with their with their foals. Yeah. But that that family aspect that you talked about and all the research and again that was that goes back to your. Your comment about being observant and getting into those families that you that you observed and that you watched. What are the traits that you looked for in those families? Is it just because they came from a certain operation, or is it how they how they ran on the racetrack? What do you use in those observations?
1: Um, my observations are looks, right? So for me, it's the physical, and what I'm looking for is I can't <clears throat> I can't predict uh, who's going to race and who's not, right? So what I want to do is, from a broodmare perspective, I want to have the best looking horse I can have. That is my goal. If I do that, then I feel like I'm successful. Where, whatever the stallion is, wherever I am on the on the level of purchase, I want to I want to be producing the best looking foal I can, most correct, biggest hip, balance. I want all of that. That if I do that, then I feel successful. What happens after that, I don't know. And then decisions change, right? So you'll have a mare and people are like, you've sold a million and a half horses out of this mare. Why are you selling it? Or, or, or why are you reduce the, and it's like, well, because we didn't get to where we wanted to be. I know she had opportunities and it didn't work out. Um, so yeah, for me, it's all about that. I cannot control, like people say, well, you know, you know, some of these horses are offset. Some of these horses are not great looking. at They're running. I'm like, yeah, but, but that's not a strategy, right like a, if you if your strategy is any horse can win a grade 1 then you will be broke very soon <laughs> that's not a strategy right you have to have it's a goal money. it's a goal yeah but it's not a strategy yeah the, and the reality is is when you if you don't if if looks don't matter when you get to be a stallion when when you do hit the home run right then you're discounted you're not an expensive horse when you're a stunner then you're worth many multiples more so that should be the part of the goal, you know? But.
0: It'll be fun to watch the draft during the Kentucky October yearling sale. And this has been a great episode. But we're going to debut a new segment here okay. to kind of close things out. And not that we haven't had laughs along the way, but hopefully we'll get a few more. We're going to debut the final eighth segment here. This is the final eighth. Eight questions. Random. Some about horses. Some not. And just your initial reaction to this. What's your favorite horse of all time?
1: mm Citation. could be for any race citation
0: citation did yeah. you get to see him run yes <laughs> why why citation
1: first millionaire triple crown winner i think that threshold is huge yeah first be the first to do something first to do a million and that a million dollars like that is like you could buy kentucky for a million yeah you know, it was like a, it's a lot of, a lot it's of money. money it's not like now yeah but it it was that to me it just struck me is that horse i love the way it looked i mean i don't know uh, he I mean, if you want to ask me more recently, I mean, Dr. Fager love Dr. Fager. Um, you know, I mean, I can, my, you know, the home team one is Silverhawk, obviously, the horse I grew up with. Right? Yeah. But, you know, so there's three answers. There's to
0: one three question. answers. Okay. okay. Uh, that, and we're used to that multiple yeah. answers to one question. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. If it weren't for this, what would you be doing? If it weren't for horse racing, mm. what would you be doing?
1: I think I'd be selling ice cream. <laughs> 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 so I, I, when I was in when I was in high school, I heard about the, the creamery at Penn State University, where you can go get a degree in like ice cream making, and they have the creamery is the, the ice cream place that they sell that product. At one of the, the at the time it was a, the flavors called Peachy Paterno. I'm guessing it's not called that anymore, um, but it was a peach what was paste, it Peachy Paterno, Peachy? <laughs> yeah, and it was delicious. I had someone bring me a gallon. And it was delicious. Lived up to, but it was my, my dream to wear the white coat and the hairnet. At the time, needed the hairnet, and I would, you know, could see myself in the vats. Be like, no, too much sugar. You know, what I mean, that's what I that's I thought. And nor like, do you
0: have the need for the hairnet
1: anymore. Not right? anymore. No, not anymore.
0: Besides the Triple Crown races and the Breeders' Cup races, what is a race that you would like to win? Uh, that you haven't already. I mean, could be an international race. Could be domestic.
1: I want to say Epson Darby, but I probably would equal it with the Arc. Yeah. Those are the ones.
0: Favorite hobby outside of horse racing?
1: Mm. Not really. You know, I guess uh, smoking cigars. Is that a hobby? Well,
0: I mean, it can be. Yeah, I feel like it is. Yeah. You guys are known for having quality cigars at your consignment.
1: We are. We are.
0: Other than the phase tipped and focus, what are you listening to right now?
1: I listen to F one podcast.
0: Big F one guy. Huge. Yeah, love it. Love because it. of the Netflix show, or were you before?
1: I was a when I was a very young uh, boy. I was a Nigel Mansell fan because England and the whole thing, and 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 then I lost interest, and then the F one show certainly brought me back.
0: Most thrilling moment you've had in the sport?
1: Oh gosh. Um. Probably violence winning cash call for uh, but I will say, aside from putting aside personal horses, horses I had anything to do with, I would say that the Zenyatta Blame Breeders Cup was the most exciting. I mean, the, the stands were rattling. Yeah, I, I was on a chair. I don't know how I got on the chair, Sc- screaming for like just pure brilliance. And everyone was on the same page. Were, yeah. no, no one was, you know, it's not like, oh, I hate Jordan. No, it's not any of that. Yeah. Was, everyone was rooting for Michael Jordan that day. Right. And he was going to do something that was going to shock the world. And, you know, it didn't happen, whatever. But but in defeat, it was almost like a greater accomplishment. You know, it was it was just a, it was an amazing feeling. I think if you were there that day and you were not a lifelong horse racing fan, then I don't know what, what yeah, drives If you can't you. get excited over that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you should go. Even not
0: being there. I remember watching the race at right. home and just... I just in, in complete awe and probably yelling as much as everybody yeah. was at Churchill Downs.
1: It, it was I don't know how the horses didn't freak out. I don't know how all these horses yeah. don't freak out. It was so loud, it was terrifying. I mean, if you weren't so excited, it was it was terrifying. Yeah. Just the no, the noise. And under terrible. the lights and just in the whole yeah. the whole setting.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. You're flipping through the channels on a weeknight. What's the one show you're always gonna stop and watch? Could weeknight. be an old show, could be a movie. Yeah, just one show you're always gonna watch.
1: Hmm. I don't know. Your ringtone is is Seinfeld. the office ringtone. Office tone. Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, those ones. Those are my I love I love uh, Cheers. Cheers is a big one. When I when I go to sleep, I'll play Cheers episodes cuz there's so many of them. It's like 10 seasons. Yeah. And I'll just play them and then I'll be able to fall asleep and I won't feel bad cuz I do not miss anything. <laughs> so I already memorized it I memorized the episode, but it's like comforting to hear like Woody Harrelson and like Norm and everyone and Ernie Pantuso coach so it's very comforting to hear those I yeah. when I was a kid and I hear them now and so I go to sleep listening cheers it drives my wife crazy
0: all right and this is the last of the final eight, and this is perhaps the most important for you because you're known for your your quality orders when we go out to lunch or to mm. dinner I think your your level of foodie is is probably internationally renowned and you're known for that so you have a table for four your favorite meal Mm. what's the meal who's at the table
1: wow that's very strong uh it's probably it's it's hard to it's hard to choose from your children it really is and i feel like my meals are your kids yeah a little bit (laughs) a little bit i feel like i every meal i take I feel there's one less meal I'm going to have. I don't know when it's going to come to an end, but that's the way I look at it. It's maybe wrong. I don't know. Like these people who say they live, when I say you live to eat or eat to live, and they say, I just, you know, I, I just eat to live. I, I don't know who you are. Yeah. Like, I can't relate You're to you. are a live to eat way. kind of guy. I, yeah. If I lost my sense of taste, I'd probably just go end it. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I'm sorry to the people that don't have taste. Maybe it's really nice. I don't know. Yeah. But, um in, in I would say crafts sake Tom Colicchio's place okay I love it yeah um but if you know there there, there are probably 20 restaurants I can name, but I just really have had a, this is a great very great place for me and I love it um and then uh the people I would have at the table I don't know I guess uh I mean I got five kids you kind of put me in a bad spot here only four. Well, that's the point. Yeah, They're at a mean, table next door, maybe. Well, they could be. So, yeah. can we eliminate family? That way I can not have Yeah, to okay. So, my the caveat
0: is yeah. It's, no family. Uh, yeah. So, it's,
1: it's people of the world.
0: People of the world with us or not with us. Um, this is your dream setting. This is your dream meal and the people that you want to tell stories with.
1: Yeah, I would want Vincent O'Brien.
0: Yeah, good call.
1: That would be my first good one. call. I would want um, Vincent O'Brien. I would want. Probably the bald eagle. Okay. Charlie Whittingham. That's two trainers. It's a lot of trainer talk. Um, Is that
0: so you don't feel out of place with the baldness at the table?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, I don't know who else. Who else would be? See, you can't really say Gandhi at this point because that would be a weird group, <laughs> wouldn't it? Well, it's okay. I mean, it would like, be an interesting group. Yeah. Gandhi probably would be pretty quiet for that one. <laughs> I'm have to say. I don't know. I don't know who the other one is. I d I don't know. I mean, it's me, I'm there, so me, uh, I don't know.
0: Who's sitting to your right? You've got my right. you've got Vincent to the left, Charlie's across from you, who's sitting on your right?
1: It's a tough question.
0: You're never stumped like this, I'm sure. I shocked. know, but it's a,
1: it's you it's the the There's the, so much the pressure. Parameter, on you. The yeah. parameters are just so tight. Yeah. Four people, you can't get a six top. What kind of restaurant is this? You no, don't no, have no, pool? you can't get it.
0: No. Oh. This is last minute like, you just won the Derby, you're going to go get a meal, and it's last minute.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I guess um, Derby last minute, going to go get a meal. I don't know. Oh, I know who it will be. John Nayrut.
0: John Nayrut, yeah. Going so back to the cozy. Trainer, which is
1: super weird. But he couldn't pick family. This, let's just make sure everyone understands this. Yeah. You, know, I love you wouldn't my have children an F1 driver with, in there? You wouldn't maybe have... maybe. I guess I could have... Yeah. I would have Sergio Perez in there, maybe, but...
0: You know. Then you'd have to kick somebody out of there and that'd be awkward. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good group. Yeah. That's a good group. Well, Hansley, this has been a lot of fun. It's always uh, great to catch up with you. And I think we're gonna give some other podcasts a run for their money this week. I think you, you came in with some lofty expectations, but you delivered as usual.
1: I don't know. I think I think more likely that people will just chew, tune into I uh, hear your uh, olive oil voice ringing <laughs> through their, their car stereos. Speaking of which, I, I called you, and I want to compliment you on your uh, your answering machine message. Oh. It's it's great. Thank it's you. Great. People should call just to listen to it. Just to, to listen it. It's to that it? good. I will tell you that I'm against the genre generally. I don't think that people should be leaving any messages. I think that technology has gotten to a point where you should just hang up and text. Unless you're on a landline or voiceover IP, then you have the right to leave a message. Yeah. Everyone else does not need to, need to leave the message. Hey, give me a call. Don't ever leave that message. Text it. Really? Yes. It's, it, why would you? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Hey, we have computers, but send me something over on parchment. What are you talking about? <laughs> We've moved forward. The text is there. It doesn't interrupt. I see what's going on. Don't, you don't need to leave a message and leaving a number on voicemail what are you doing text the number yeah I, I it's a press yeah if you leave a number on voicemail I have to find pen and paper I have to pull a car over
0: yeah I don't have it the leaves ability, too much yeah
1: I don't have the ability to memorize numbers like that anymore
0: well I think with the Siri aspect though when it, it records the the number like if you it, you can see the display on the message too that it also has the phone number in there that's true but you don't yeah don't I've, don't leave a name and number that's I think no. we're we're a little past that, unless it is your your office line yeah. or something like that. Do
1: you, do you know I was at the O'Brien Inn in Saratoga a few years ago, and we're sitting there, and Durkin walks in with two bottles of wine in a bag, sits up at the counter, starts pouring himself some glass. Of wine. I'm like, look, those are John Terranova, who is a great pe- person to eat a meal with. He would be number He would be number. He's five. on the AE list. Oh, my God. Yeah. Great. Uh, and I said, hey, hey, it's it's Tom Durkin. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he comes in here a lot. Yeah. That's John. And... Uh, you know, we finished our meal, so he got a bottle in. I mean, I'm not saying anything. I'm just, you know, yeah, I'm not, he, judging. No, I'm not judging. No, saying, no. I no don't say no one. No, send, send letters to Boy Browning. So, <laughs> we went, we went. Um, so, I went over, and, and they're like, "Hey, guys, give me a minute." I'm like, what are you gonna do? You gonna go like be a fanboy for Tom? Browning. i was like, just give me a second. I'm like, "Hey, Mr. Durkin, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your meal." Blah blah blah. I'm like, I was just wondering if you could record my answering machine message, and he was like, well, "Sure." And I realized. He's, he's pretty hammered. I don't know how this is going to okay, go. Okay, all right. And 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 he, so he's like, "What's your name?" And I realized, at that moment, this is not going to work, because my name is not John Smith. My name right. is Hunsley Albina, and Tom Durkin at that point was not getting Hunsley Albina. Yeah. So he was like, uh, "Okay." So he's just like, "I usually get two thousand for this." I'm like, "Okay, sorry." <laughs> so I hit the record button, and he's like. Hi, this is Tom Durgan and blah, blah. And, it, and he's like, you have reached Hansel I as well but he couldn't even it was like it, it, it was he he yeah. verbally goobed it yeah and so it was my me- message I was so proud of it and people would call me and be like we hung up because we didn't know who that was and we didn't understand they thought they, so dis- the thought they dialed the wrong number thought dialed the wrong number yeah you
0: can't go for the celebrity greeting because people panic and they think that you, they, yeah they called the wrong but number I wanted
1: you to record my Instagram message but I'm afraid that they're gonna hang up on that too.
0: Well, I don't have to say, hi, this is this is Jesse. I could just say, you've reached Hansley Abina's phone. Please leave your name and number.
1: Did you get that back then? <laughs> right. I will not be paying you, just so you know. I'm Please talking. leave your name and number.
0: Yeah. Please leave a message. Do not text him.
1: No, text me. Do not leave. Oh, yeah, I see what you're doing there. That's not good. All right, we ran over here.
0: No, Hansley, thank you very much. It's a joy. Best of luck the rest of the year. And, and thanks for joining us today on the Phasing Tip and Focus.
1: Thank you, Jesse.